Thank you, Hayes, Bethany, team. Well, good morning, church. How are you? It's good to see you. Glad you're here. Hey, grab your Bibles, if you will. Let's go to Ezra chapter 3. Ezra 3 is where we'll be in just a second as we continue on in our new sermon series. Ezra chapter 3, verse 1 is where we'll be in just a moment. Thank you, Hayes. As you are turning there, listen, you already heard about VBS this week, and let me echo Sandy and just saying thank you to so many of you guys who came and served all week long, 200 volunteers uh, and more here over the past week and before, because there was a lot of prep that went into last week. Uh, But honestly, I want to help you understand just the grand scope of all the things that the Lord was doing through our church just over the last seven days. So if you were here, you saw that in action. We literally used every inch of this campus. We had kids everywhere. And you saw all of those things going on. On Thursday, we had the gospel presentation. A ton of kids responded there. And literally, like Sandy said, we're going to be spending months and even years following up with those decisions and helping those kids grow in the Lord. And so you got to see all of that ministry on display right here, but there was even more going on. While all that was happening, we had a mission trip going on in Ensenada, Mexico. So a team from our church traveled all the way to Mexico to build a house for someone who did not have a house. And this is something we have been doing for years, but when they go down there, they don't go simply to build a physical house. Their goal is to share the gospel. And I had been texting with the team and hearing about them praying for the father of the house that they were building this house for. And he had not given his life to the Lord and got word on Thursday that he had finally surrendered his life to Jesus Christ, got to see him surrender his life to the Lord. So we saw all of that happen. That's exciting, it really is. And then while all that is happening, I, meanwhile, was up in Tennessee. I kicked off VBS and then went to preach a student life camp, and I head up there and find a 1,000 teenagers in a room uh, from 30 different churches and got to spend the week preaching. And I also saw the Lord bring a ton of kids to Jesus Christ who surrendered their life to him for the very first time, got to have gospel conversations on Thursday night, got to watch even more of those kids surrender their life to full-time Christian ministry. And so I just got to watch the Lord work on display. So just think about that for a second. We had hundreds of us working here. We had more working in Mexico. I'm working up in Tennessee, and that's just the stuff I know about. I don't even know about what you were doing. I don't know what was going on in your workplace or in, in your neighborhoods or in your family and conversations that you were having and sharing the gospel with other people or just living the Christ life out in front of others. And we get to see just a little bit of what the Lord is doing on Sunday mornings, but he's always doing more than that. And so I just want to take an opportunity to give him thanks and praise for that, for all the things that he did. So bow your heads with me, if you will. Uh, Heavenly Father, we just want to honor you for what all you have done just in the past seven days. Lord, not simply in this place and on this campus, but literally in another country, all over this country, Lord, you are using the people of this congregation to build your kingdom. And Lord, we we can accomplish trips and events, we we can pull things off, but, but we in no way can transform lives. And we just watched you do that all throughout this week. We watched you take people from death to life. We watched you bring spiritual healing in the lives uh, of others. We saw you call people into ministry. And so, Lord, we just want to say thank you for letting us be a part of that. Lord, you don't honestly need us to do this ministry. You could do this better yourself, and, and instead you indwell us. You send us out to make disciples of all nations. And, God, you allow us to be a part of it. So just thank you. 
Thank you for what you have done, Lord. We're excited to see what you continue to do through us, but we love you. In your name we pray. And we all said, amen, amen. Ezra chapter three, verse one, as we continue into our series called Return, Rebuild, Renew. We're following along with the Israelites as they are returning from exile. And we're doing so because as they had a very particular task in front of them to, to rebuild what was, what was destroyed and changed, we also find ourselves in a unique season as a church where we are being called to return and rebuild and for the Lord to renew us. And so as we are embarking on that new adventure ourselves, we're walking along with the Israelites in a similar situation. If you're here a couple weeks ago, you saw why they were in exile. God's people had rejected him. For decades, they had resisted his call to repent. And so God finally, at long last, did what he had been threatening to do. He comes in and levels everything. Everything is destroyed. God's people are taken into exile into Babylon where they will, uh, they will be for 50 years But God, through a movement of his own hand, moves a separate foreign power now to send them back to their land. These 42,000 people who are gonna come back from Babylon to a ruined Jerusalem to rebuild everything from scratch. And last week, we talked about why they would do that. Why would they leave lives, even in a foreign land, and all the things they had built over 50 years, why would they leave that to go and literally start over? To, to rebuild from, uh, from nothing, why would these people do that? And we found out it's because this is their identity. It's who they are. It's because the Lord is central to how they understand themselves. They can't be a people apart from Yahweh, from their God who made them a people in the first place. And so yes, even though it's arduous, even though it, it has a cost attached to it, they're willing to leave that behind and come and start from scratch. But this week, we have to ask the questions, okay, so what now? And over the course of this series, I want you to try to get yourself into the minds, the lives of these people, because this isn't just a story from the Old Testament. These were very real people who had to leave very real things. They had to go through on a very real journey, and then they had to go through the day-to-day, the actual rebuilding of a nation, and how do you do that? What does that look like on a day-to-day basis? How did did they get by? And and this morning, we're going to ask a question, where did they start? Like, how do you even begin that process? If you ever moved into a new home and you got all the boxes in, it's like you got to settle in. Well, where do you start? How how do you get this whole process rolling? And what we're going to see today is that they started at the center. They're going to start with the altar of the Lord. And so look at Ezra chapter 3, starting in verse 1. Listen to what it says. It says, when the seventh month came and the children of Israel were in the towns, the people gathered as one man to Jerusalem. Then arose Jeshua, the son of Josadak, with his fellow priests, and Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, with his kinsmen. And they built the altar of God of Israel to offer burnt offerings on it, as is written in the law of Moses, the man of God. They set the altar in its place, for fear was on them because of the peoples of the land. And they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord, burnt offerings morning and evening. All right, so the very first thing they do is this. They said, we need to relay the altar of God. 
The place where sacrifices are made, we need to relay the altar. Now, the place of sacrifice, the altar, was right in front of the the temple building proper. It was part of the temple complex, but it was kind of out in the courtyard. And so they don't have a temple building yet, but out here in the middle is the place where sacrifices are going to be made. And say, listen, before we do anything, even though we don't have a temple building yet, we need to reset the altar. And when they do so, they do it on the exact same spot where the old altar lay. Now, there's probably the case that people had been doing makeshift sacrifices on this over the years, and so you had a lot of destruction, you had a lot of makeshift stuff. They would have had to go in and and level all of that and start from scratch and say, no, we're going to rebuild the altar of God on which we can do sacrifices. They wanted to honor the law of the Lord. They wanted to follow him. They wanted to do what he said, and God had prescribed what to do every single day, which offerings to be made, and so they said, we want to make this altar so that we can begin today. We don't need to wait till later. We want to start day one with the altar of the Lord. But notice that last phrase there in verse three. It says, but they're doing this morning and evening. This was not just a kickoff event. This is not something they did once and then they just went to doing other work. They said, no, this is something we have to continue to do. This is the new normal. There will be sacrifices morning and evening. Every single day, we start the day with the Lord, we end the day with the Lord. Everybody in Jerusalem could look towards that altar. They would see the smoke rising, whether they were there in person or not, and say, hey, the sacrifices have been made. We're starting the day with the Lord. We end the day with the Lord. This is the new routine they are setting for themselves. They're settling back themselves back into a lifestyle of saying, the Lord is at the center of who we are. We're right here at the beginning, we're at the, we're at the temple, this is the, the center of, of our entire nation, but these sacrifices, our relationship with the Lord is key, it's central, it's the beginning point for everything, so this will now be the new normal that we set ourselves into. And this is important because they knew what would happen if they did not do this. If they did not set this and make this a priority, it would be natural for them to drift. Because look, there ain't no shortage of things for them to do. They have a whole nation to rebuild. They have a whole city to rebuild. They've got all this stuff to do. They're going to be busy. It would be very easy to say, great, got the sacrifice done. Let's get to work and throw themselves in it and not keep coming back to where it all began, to, where, where, to the most important thing, to their relationship with the Lord. And so morning and evening, they said, we will bring ourselves back every morning, every evening. My life is about the Lord. This day, I'll give thanks to the Lord. The next day, I will start with the Lord. I will give thanks at the end of the day. This becomes the full new routine of their life. It's their altar. Which begs the question, where's, where's our altar? We don't need a physical altar. We don't make physical sacrifices anymore. But but what God was doing through this altar process was drawing them back to himself, drawing them back to their need for him consistently. And that's something you and I need as well. Let's think about this for just a second. Um, I want you to imagine if you had to start your life over from scratch. So imagine going to a brand new town. Okay, and not like a town close by, but like way far away. You have to restart your life. Some of y'all don't have to imagine this. You actually did this during the pandemic. You, you might be worshiping with us today and say, Adam, I, I moved to Birmingham in the middle of the pandemic. I did, I had to restart everything. But uh, imagine a total reboot. Okay, so new place, new work, new friends, new routine, 
knew everything. You know nothing. You have no help. You have to restart everything from the beginning. How, how do you start? How do you get things in place? How do you start to say, okay, how do I get my life in order? What's my routine? But here's the bigger question. How would you restart your life in the Lord in a new place? Where's your altar? How would you begin your days to make sure that in a new place, at a new time, where you don't have any other help, you you have to restart this from the beginning, how would you make sure that the Lord was the center of where you are? Because there's something that's happening that we take for granted, most of us here in this room, that for most of us during our lives, there's a spiritual inertia that carries us forward. Habits that we've built in our lives, traditions, things that we just normally do, and we don't feel it, but it's just an inertia that kind of pushes us in a general direction. If you've grown up in church, you feel that on Sunday mornings, where are you supposed to be? Church, that's right. (laughs) If you didn't grow up in church, you don't feel that, but there's a spiritual inertia in your life. It just kind of pushes you. That's my habit. If you've got a ton of friends here, there's a pull there. Say, hey, that's where my friends are. That's where I want to be. I want to interact with these people. I've got relationships there. And so there's a a pull. So there's just kind of this, this invisible inertia that kind of keeps moving us forward, whether we know it or not. But what happens when all that stops? What happens when all of that is taken away? Well, we are finding out, aren't we? Because that's what we just lived through. We just lived through a pandemic when all of that was stopped. Couldn't go to church. Couldn't see those friends. Couldn't have those relationships like you used to. All the habits were broken. And the inertia kind of ground to a halt. And what we're seeing now is, is that we're having to kind of rebuild from scratch. We're having to answer this question, where's, where's my altar? Am I, am I going to come back to the Lord and say, from the beginning to the end of my day, every day, the new routine that I'm going to build, the new routine of my life, I want the Lord to be central in all that I do. Therefore, I choose to come to him morning and evening. I come to him throughout my day. He's the center. He's the foundation of who I am. But that's a choice you have to make. You see, some people aren't making that choice right now. Have you noticed that? You might look around and recognize that there's not as many people here as there were two years ago. There's a lot of folks who were attending Double Oak, just like they were attending a ton of other churches, and they'd come sporadically here or there, but the inertia for them just wasn't all that strong. And when the pandemic hit, boy, it, it, it ground to a halt, and, and they haven't made that choice to come back yet. They don't have that push And I pray that they will return at some point, but this is what we have to decide. This is an intentional choice on our part. Just like the Israelites, they're making an intentional choice to say, before we do anything, we will lay the altar. The Lord is gonna form the foundation, the basis of our entire day because if we do not lay this altar, if we don't come to him consistently, we know that there's going to be drift. Where's your altar? Here's the second thing they do, though. They restart all the festivals, Look at verse four. It says, and they kept the feast of booths as is written and offered the daily burnt offerings by number according to the rule as each day required. And after that, the regular burnt offerings, the offerings of the new moon and all the appointed feasts of the Lord and the offerings of everyone who made a freewill offering to the Lord. From the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord, but the foundation of the temple of the Lord was not yet laid. All right, so not only did they begin doing the daily sacrifices, they also reinstituted the festivals of the Lord. 
For the Israelites, there were three major festivals to which everybody was called to Jerusalem every single year. Passover was one of those, but then here you see another mention, the Feast of Booths. And so as they lay this altar, it was the seventh month right there at the beginning, it's shortened in the fall, and they said, we are going to reinstitute this festival. We're going to inquire everybody to come back and do these festivals of the Lord. It was a seven-day festival uh, to which everybody would come to Jerusalem and they would all live in these, these makeshift lean-tos. Uh, They would go get uh, palm fronds and different branches, and they would make themselves a little shelter, a little mini tabernacle, and that's where they would live. Everybody would camp out for a week. Uh, It's like the first Woodstock ever, right? Everybody just kind of comes together. They're all camping out. They're they're doing the thing. I I mean, today I'd be what? I don't know, Dega? Uh, You know, without the RVs, all right? So imagine everybody coming together. They're all kind of living outside, but they're saying, hey, we're we're all going to camp Uh, out in these little lean-tos. Why? Well, it was a reminder to them that the Lord had carried them through the wilderness, that God, back in their history, had set them free from a tyrannical power and led them through the wilderness where they had no home, they were nomads, until God gave them the promised land, this land, and said, I'm gonna be your God, you're gonna be my people, and I'm gonna give you a home. And the allusions to their current situations would not have been missed by the Israelites that they too had just been set free from a tyrannical power, that God had moved them to come back by a wilderness journey and is taking them back home. And even though they were still living in lean-tos, they didn't have all their houses fully built yet, God was bringing them back to this place. It was a continuation of what God had been doing. It was a reminder to them that they were still God's people And so these festivals were important. They were scattered throughout the year and they kind of formed the warp and woof of a year. It was not just a a daily reminder, but these were the annual reminders of who they were. They said, we're reinstituting these practices. We want to put these back into the, the rhythm of our lives because it reminds us of our identity. And we need those too. We don't celebrate the Feast of Booths as Christians, but we have other Christian celebrations every year, do we not? We mainly have Easter and Christmas. These are our major celebrations. Back in older days, there was actually a larger liturgical year, and you'd have a lot of feast days and different things that they would celebrate, but mainly for us, we've got the larger celebrations of Easter, where we celebrate the death and resurrection of Christ, and Christmas, the celebration of the coming of Jesus Christ, and every year, we kind of prepare for those. But on top of that, for most of us, are at least 75 other holidays that we keep putting on there, Right? There's just a ton of them. We have a lot today. We're celebrating one. It's Father's Day. Last month, we had Mother's Day. In just a couple weeks, we'll have 4th of July. After that, we start the grand celebration of college football season, which is a holiday unto itself. You do that. Then in the middle of that, we have Thanksgiving. Then we get Christmas. Then we have New Year's. Then you're going to have Valentine's Day. Then Easter, we get Mother's Day graduation, and here we are. That's our year. And we kind of go on this warp and wolf. We kind of look through things and we go, okay, there's a, there's a rhythm to our year. But if we're not careful, the grand celebrations of Easter and Christmas just get kind of lumped into all these other things and it begins to lose its significance. And so what the people of God are doing here is that they're reinstituting these festivals. They said, no, we want our our lives, the very rhythm of our year to be defined by the Lord, by who we are in him. God has commanded us, therefore we will obey him, but these things are reminders of our past, reminders of our identity, reminders of who we are. And so we need them. 
I was reminded of that this week, just, just how uh, times like this can re-energize and rejuvenate us just going to camp. I spent five days up in Tennessee at the student life camp, and I got to speak to one of the youth groups, and I tried to impress upon them just how rare this is, that they would take a five-day spiritual retreat. I've said this to youth groups all over the years. I said, the odds that you will take a five-day spiritual retreat just for yourself after high school are slim to none. You won't do it. You're going to graduate. You're going to have a life and a job, and you're going to have a whole lot of vacation time. Then you're going to get married. You're going to have kids, and you're just not going to do it. It's just not going to happen for you anymore. So these are marked moments. This is a precious opportunity. Don't waste it. But some of you don't waste it because some of you have found a way to have those times again. And some of you did that just this past week when you went on a mission trip. When you said, no, I am going to use some of my hard-earned vacation time, not simply to rest, but I want to give I want to serve. I want to love. And yes, I want to go and work. I want want to go share the name of Jesus Christ. And you find a different kind of rest and renewal. Where you take a five-day trip or more and say, no, I'm going to invest in, in serving the kingdom. And it actually rejuvenates you. Some of you found that this past week as we did VBS. Because how many of you are tired from VBS? Anybody tired? Yes. There are some of us who are home right now. I was like, I can't do it. I'm too tired. We wore you out this past week. And guess what? Listen, that's something we do every year. VBS comes right at the middle of our ministry year. It's always a huge thing that we do, but not simply for the kids. It's for us. It's that reminder of who we are, of what we do, of the love we have for kids. We want to share the gospel in our community. We prioritize these things. Why? Because it draws us back to who we are. It draws us back to our life in the Lord as we begin to rebuild, as we begin to come back and return, the question has to be, what is my new year going to look like? Which holidays do I prioritize? How do I prioritize them? Am I gonna start with the Lord and let him guide and define who I am? It doesn't mean we don't celebrate those other holidays, but there's a priority that needs to come for the ones that help us celebrate the Lord. That's what they're doing here. So they start with the altar. Secondly, they restore uh, the festivals. Then thirdly, they finally lay the foundation. Look at verse seven. So they gave money to the masons and the carpenters and food, drink, and oil to the Sidonians and the Tyrians to bring cedar trees from Lebanon to the sea, to Joppa, according to the grant that they had from Cyrus, king of Persia. Now in the second year, after they're coming to the house of God at Jerusalem, in the second month, Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Josadak, made a beginning, together with the rest of their kinsmen, the priests and the Levites, and all who had come to Jerusalem from the captivity. They appointed the Levites from 20 years old and upward to supervise the work of the Lord. And Jeshua, with his sons and brothers, and Cadmiel and his sons, the sons of Judah, together supervised the workmen in the house of God, along with their sons of Hinnadad and the Levites, their sons and brothers. Let's stop right there. Now, look, I know when you get into some of those names, your eyes just kind of glaze over. It's like, ah, what's happening here? But but don't do that. Don't, Don't miss what's happening. What they decide to do is this. They're finally ready to lay the foundation. They said, look, the altar has said, but, but building a temple takes time, and so we need to, to lay the foundation of the temple. We need to mark out its borders, its edges. How are we going to do this? And they begin the work of restoring this place. Now, this is important. The reason they're doing this first is because this is the central place for all of Israel. This is what marks them out as unique. 
Of all the peoples of the earth, God creates them. He says, I'm just gonna make you into my people. I have chosen you. And that of all the peoples on the planet, I'm gonna let my presence rest among you. You're gonna be my beacon to the entire world. My presence isn't gonna be anywhere else, but he's gonna be right here in the temple. My presence will rest above, representatively, above the, the Ark of the Covenant in the Holy of Holies in this temple at the center of your nation. This is what makes you a special people is that I am your God and you are my people. So when they're coming back to return and rebuild and renew, it has to start with the temple. They said, we've got to start right here. Why? Because this defines who we are. Furthermore, this is just a continuation of what God has been doing. You may not be able to see that right here in the text, but when you read all these different words, the Tyrians, the Sidonians, and they're bringing in cedars from Lebanon, and then how the priests are involved and how they do this, a bunch of these are direct references to how the first temple was built. The people who knew about the first temple and they, they remembered those things, they would see all the references and say, hey man, we're building in the same way that the first temple was built. We're going through a lot of the same processes in which the first temple was built. What they're trying to show everybody is that this is not just a new work. They're not just building, they're rebuilding. They're not doing something new, they're being renewed in the Lord. This is a continuation of all the things that God has done. And so because this is a new word, they say, listen, this is our identity. We need to make sure that this is the priority. This is where we start. This is where everything begins. It all starts and ends with the Lord. And so they lay the foundation of the temple. Now let's be honest, this is hard to relate to. This is just not how we think of ourselves. These are not the things that really help us. In fact, this is why some of us avoid the Old Testament is because I mean, when you get back in here and you're talking about temples and sacrifices and altars and all these names I can't pronounce, it's just such a different culture. It's such a different system. We just say, I, I just can't relate to it. I'll just stick over here in the New Testament and we, we miss all this. But there's something very important we need to grab onto here. Look, we, we don't need to build a physical temple anymore. We, we don't have to identify ourselves in the same way the Israelites did. These Israelites really identified themselves by their race and by their place. They said, we are a chosen people, and God has given us this very particular place, and we have a very real temple that has a very real holy of holies. I mean, this is how they identified themselves, and that's just not how we do that today. We don't have to. But God absolutely is still wanting us to identify ourselves with him. Now, the New Testament Jews wrestled with this. As they came to Christ and recognized that he is the long-awaited Messiah, they, they were excited that God's promises were finally being fulfilled, but God's promises didn't stop with them anymore. God's salvation was not just for his one people, but now that salvation was, was busting out of the temple. It wasn't confined to this one locale anymore. No, it was, tra it was transgressing all national boundaries. The gospel was going to all peoples, tribes, nations, and tongues. He wasn't staying with a place or with a particular race. He says, no, anybody who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And as these new churches got formed, now you've got these Jewish Christians kind of wrestling with their now Gentile brothers and sisters who were also Christians but come from a very different background and they struggled to kind of be unified in that. 
And so you hear Paul addressing this in Ephesians chapter two. In a New Testament context, he's talking to these Jews and Gentiles and trying to bring them into unity, but look at the language he uses. This is Ephesians two, verse 17. He says, and he came and preached peace to you who are far off and peace to those who are near. For through him we both, as Jews and Gentiles, have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Look at this. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. All right, so we use as a metaphor that the Jewish Christians would have instantly recognized. They instantly would have thought about the temple, the temple mount. They understood all of that. But now it's not just exclusive to them, and he's no longer talking about that physical structure. He says, no, now the temple is different. Just like that was the dwelling place for the presence of God, there is a new temple, and it's not physical. It is spiritual. God's spirit has come to dwell in every single believer. But even more so, he is dwelling in all of his people together. His temple is now no longer a physical building. His temple is the collected people of God. Wherever we are, we become the new temple. What God is calling us to rebuild is not a physical place. These buildings are great and they're helpful in so many ways, but these buildings are not our church. We are the church of Jesus Christ. When we go out to get a donut, the church is getting a donut. When we are out there somewhere else, wherever the church is, that's the temple. That's what God is building. He's not simply building an organization. He's not simply building a physical structure. He's building us. We are the very temple of God. God's presence resides in us. And so what is he calling us to return to, to rebuild, to be renewed in? It's not a physical place anymore. It's not just for one type of person. He says, no, for anybody who calls on the name of the Lord, I have made you a living stone, a part of my living temple. My presence will reside in my people. And that's what I want you to rebuild. That's where I want you to grow. That's where I want you to find your place is to recognize that we are his temple. This is what he calls us back to. Will we return to the fellowship of the faith? And not just return, but will we rebuild? Will we be a part of what God is doing? Will we say, listen, this is my place at this time and at this season. This is where God has called me and so Absolutely, I'm gonna continue to rebuild. I'll do the hard work of relationship building and mending and healing so that we can continue to be the very people of God, his living temple. God calls us in a very same way to return and rebuild and renew, but it all starts with the foundation of Jesus Christ. The foundation can't be tradition, The foundation can't be what we've done in the past. The foundation can't be a personality. The foundation can't be a a particular way of doing things. The foundation must be, can only be, the salvation you and I have in Jesus Christ. The fact that we were lost but were found. We were blind but now we see. We were sinners but now we are saved and growing, being sanctified in him. And God has called us to be together, built upon the foundation, the very cornerstone of Jesus Christ, like we sang earlier. 
If we build on any other foundation, everything will lean over and fall eventually. You can build anything for a time, but sooner or later it will topple. But when you build upon the foundation of Jesus Christ, we cannot help but stand. So where's our foundation? Are we ready to say, Jesus, wherever you call me, Jesus, whatever you're asking me to do, Jesus, this is the people you've asked me to be a part of. And so I choose to be here. Would you knit me together to be, build me together to be your spiritual house? But you have to start with the foundation before you get to anything else. But as we do that, we see here they respond in two particular ways. They've, they've laid the altar, they've restarted the festivals, they've, they've laid the foundation. Two more things they do. The first thing is that they worship. They worship. Look at verse 10. Verse 10, it says, and when the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments came forward with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals to praise the Lord, according to the directions of David, king of Israel. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his steadfast love endures forever toward Israel. And all the people shouted with a great shout when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. Right, so after they build the foundation, that took a little bit of time. They've been, had the altar, they've been doing the festivals, took some time to lay the foundation. But once the foundation is laid, they all amass together and they are going to have a massive worship celebration. And again, the allusions are right here, back to the older time. Look at the song that they sing in verse 11. It says, for he is good and his steadfast love endures forever towards Israel. This is actually the exact same song that they sung at the de- that they sang 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 at the dedication of the first temple. Look at this in Second Chronicles chapter seven verse three. When the first temple was dedicated, uh, that worship celebration. Look what they sang. When the people of Israel saw the fire come down and the glory of the Lord on the temple, they bowed down with their faces to the ground on the pavement and worshipped and gave thanks to the Lord, saying, "For He is good; for His steadfast love endures forever." Same thing. Same song. What are they saying? They're saying the reason that we're worshiping is not just because that's what we're supposed to do. The reason that we're worshiping is not just because that's what's prescribed in the law. They're saying, we want to sing this song because it's true. The Lord is good to us, and his steadfast love endures forever. This is his hesed. This is his covenant love, his loyal love, love that when we are faithless, he remains faithful. This love that even though they deserve to be abandoned, they find themselves not abandoned. They are looking back, hearkening back to 400 years ago when the same song was sung. And in the middle of all that gulf, a lot has happened. That very same people drifted from the Lord. They refrained from making the daily sacrifices. They walked away and drifted from their dedication to the Lord. They gave in to their demons and their idolatries. They found themselves tested and tried and called to repent, and they wouldn't. And after centuries of God calling them back, God destroyed it all. There was intense suffering and a lot of tragedy. 
50 years after walking the trail of tears into Babylon, they would live in a foreign land away from the home that was given to them until finally the Lord would call them back and say, would you make the arduous task back to rebuild from scratch? And they would do so as well at great cost to themselves. There's been a lot of tragedy, a lot of sacrifice in those 400 years. But as they stand right there next to the brand new temple of the Lord, the foundation having been laid, they said, the Lord is good and his steadfast love endures forever. Because we don't deserve to be the people of God, but we still are. God actually does have plans to prosper us and not to harm us, plans to give us a hope and a future. He's fulfilled his promises. He has not abandoned us. Our God is good and gracious, and so they worship. They have been transformed, helped, sustained by the very love of God, and so they worship. And do we not have more reason to worship? Do you and I not have more reason than even they to worship? They were saved physically. Their nation was saved. We've been saved spiritually, eternally. The Lord Jesus did not combat a physical human power. No, the Lord Jesus fought sin, death, and hell on our behalf. Jesus Christ conquered all of our sin, took all of our punishment, conquered death, rose from the grave, and by his very grace just handed it to us. You and I now have a salvation we don't deserve and we cannot lose. We have a God who refuses to let us be snatched out of his hand, even by our own designs. We have a God whose steadfast love endures forever. We have even more reason to celebrate and celebrate they did. Did you notice that these people were not stayed in their celebrations? It was a ruckus affair. They didn't come in and say, that was nice. We love the Lord. I mean, this is not a golf clap. They said, bring the drums, bring the cymbals. We're raising a loud shout to the Lord. You're going to hear this thing miles away. They are responding to the Lord. It says that they, they sang responsively. Do you notice that? They responded. When they came to worship, they didn't come to spectate or just to say, I got the t-shirt, I was there. They said, no, I came to be a part of it. And that's a question for us as we come to worship. When you come to worship, are you coming to be a part of it or are you just coming to spectate? One of the things I love about our church is this. I love that we're a singing church. Did you hear that this morning? I get it more than y'all because I'm on the front row. I hear all y'all. And I love it. Because look, if you want a show, there's better churches to go to if you just want a better show. We don't have the best show. You know that, right? If you want a better show, you can have it. And that's all great and fine, but we can't afford the light show. All right, so look, <laughs> and I'm not that awesome. And so like, listen, this is what you get, but I, more than any show that could be put on, what I love to hear is not just the people on the stage. I love that I hear you. And I'm hearing hundreds of my brothers and sisters singing about the steadfast goodness of the Lord, that he is faithful, that he's our cornerstone. And I realize I'm not alone because all of us are here together. And I hear it when we come, not just to stand, but to sing, to be a part of it. 
I love that Hayes when he leads us. He's not just leading us in songs, but he says, hey, you're gonna read this together with me and we're gonna read it back and forth. We're gonna have times of confession. We're gonna have times of response like we will in just a few minutes. We encourage you, say, hey, it's, it's okay. If you need to be, have somebody pray for you, like people came in the first service, I'll be here and you can pray with me. You wanna come and pray at the altar. You can pray at the altar. You can respond during these times. We don't just stand here, but we respond. You might even wanna raise your hands. That's legal, you know that, right? And some of you are going, man, I just don't want to draw attention to myself. Here's my deal. Could you please draw some attention to yourself? Here's why. I need to know that God's moving in your heart. There's days I need to see it. There's days I'm depressed or discouraged, and I need to see God moving in you. And then there's days you need to see God moving in me. I move a lot. But you need to see that. You say, hey, man, that he's not just spastic. Man, there's a reason. He loves the Lord. You've thought it for years. Come on. <laughs> But there's something behind all that that's more than personality. Man, there's a joy there. Listen, we need to see that in one another. So when God calls you to respond, you respond. And we say, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna respond to the Lord. I'm gonna sing. I'm gonna come to, to lift up my voice and, and shout because the Lord is good and his steadfast love endures forever. How do we return and rebuild, renew? We, we come and we worship. But here's the fifth and final thing, and this might be a weird place to end. The fifth thing they do is this, uh, they weep. Look at verse 12. It says, but many of the priests and the Levites and the head of father's houses, old men who had seen the first house, wept with a loud voice when they saw the foundation of the house being laid. Though many shouted aloud for joy, so that the people could not distinguish the sound of the joyful shout from the sound of the people's weeping. For the people shouted with a great shout, and the sound was heard far away. So in the midst of all of this joyous worshiping, there's also people who are weeping. Now, now why are they weeping? Well, the text here doesn't give us a lot of hints, but we we get a better hint in Haggai chapter two, verse three. Haggai is a contemporary prophet during this time. And listen to what he's gonna say. He says, who is left among you who saw this house in its former glory? How do you see it now? Is it not as nothing in your eyes? You see, the only people weeping are the old ones folks with a ton of gray hair, folks who had actually seen the first temple. Most of the people here were born in Babylon or they were so young they didn't even remember it. So this is all new, it's all bonus, it's all good. It's more than they've ever had but for the oldest, they're like, yeah, but I still remember the old house. I still remember the old temple and even though this one's gonna be great and the Lord is moving and this is all good, this is bittersweet for me because something has been lost. And they're, and they're gonna weep. I love that the Bible is dishonest. Because you need to understand, that's gonna happen here too. As we return and rebuild and we're renewed by the Lord, it's gonna be exciting. God's gonna do some new things. It's gonna be incredible. It's gonna be fun. But here's what it's not going to be. It's not gonna be what it was. And we liked what it was. I've been here building it for 11 years. I'm proud of what we've built. I've loved being here. It's been awesome. But as we rebuild, we're going to be different. We're gonna be a different group of people. We're gonna be in a different time. We've all been through a very significant trauma together. We are just different, which means it's gonna look different as we go forward. It's not that what we did was bad, it wasn't. It's just gonna be different now. And that's sad. For a lot of us who've been here a long time, I mean, that's, that's sad. 
And if you're here and you're new, I mean, listen, some of you here, you're new. You just started coming a few months ago. I'm like, dude, I'm so glad I found this place. You people actually like each other. This is awesome. I've been looking for a church like this. I've had these conversations with a bunch of y'all. They said, Adam, I started coming during the pandemic. I'm thrilled to be here. This is awesome. And man, that is awesome. We need that excitement. Just please understand that you're going to have brothers and sisters who've been here a while who are going to need to grieve for a little bit. And you're gonna need to give them some space to do that. It's okay. We're not gonna grieve forever. But we gotta have space to grieve, to say, hey, listen, God did something and it was awesome, but that chapter is done and now we have a brand new chapter we get to walk into. It, is gonna, it can be an even greater chapter, but, but, but I'm still feeling a little bit of that loss and that's all right. Now, we can't hold on to that. I've seen churches do this. I used to travel around, go to different churches, and some of them said, tell me about your church, and all they would tell me about is what happened 10 years ago, of what happened 20 years ago, of what happened 30 years ago. Hey, that's great and all, and that God did do great things, but what's he doing today? What's he doing moving forward? Okay, well, we can celebrate the past without being beholden to it. We can celebrate what God has done without having to force it to remain we can accept the new that God has as well. That's the challenge that's in front of us as we, as this people, return and rebuild and renew. As we set the foundation and say, Jesus Christ and him alone, he will be our cornerstone, our foundation. As we come back to worship, as we see him and how he rebuilds us and possibly a new configuration, but he's putting new people in and older people in new places and he builds his house in which he dwells. As we walk into new challenges and new glories and new successes, new victories that we find in Jesus Christ. There'll be work, there'll be joy, there'll there'll be challenge, there'll be victory if you and I will stay focused on our foundation. If we'll day by day, month by month, year by year, live in the Lord and who he is, if we will literally build our life on him, we will not fail to see all he has planned for us. That's the challenge in front of us this season. So do this one. Bow heads and close your eyes for just a moment. And we're going to spend some time in worship here and you're going to have that chance to respond. And that can look however you need it to look. You don't have to respond like other people do. You need to respond how the Lord leads you, but we do need to respond. And so what would that look like for you this morning? Look, I don't know where you are in your process of rebuilding, we're in that process as a church, but we're all doing that individually, and I don't know where you are. Maybe you're, you're well on your way. Maybe you're just starting. Maybe you're in that uncomfortable middle where it's not settled yet. But as we come here, we do need to answer that question of, hey, is, is this where God is calling me for this season, in this chapter? Is, is this where God is calling me and my family is this where God wants me to be? And if so, then man, what is he calling me to do? How can I return and rebuild and be renewed by the Lord? What would that look like for me? And maybe today it's just as simple as saying, I will let nothing else take priority in my life other than the foundation of Jesus Christ, the one who loves me, the one who saves me, the one who will not let me go. What if today we just chose to come to him? 
So I'm going to pray for us, and then I'll be here at the front if you want to pray. There's altars here for you to pray. You can stand, sit, kneel, raise your hand, nod, but let's together respond to the Lord this morning. And so, Father, help us. We are your people, gathered together from different places, different races, different personalities, different backgrounds, just different. And you've made us all one in you, one in your spirit. And you're not just working in each of us, but you're binding us together to do something new in this place at Double Oak. And so, Lord, would you show us just how to do that? Would you remind us of our foundation in you and that we share it with all of our brothers and sisters? Father, would you help us just to celebrate but, but even grieve the things that were in the past so that we can celebrate and enjoy the things that you're about to bring? Can you open up our eyes to the brand new things you want to do through us in the world? But Lord, that just requires a lot. So would you meet every one of my brothers and sisters exactly where they are and carry us just, a, just one day forward today? One day forward in who you are. One day forward in, in what you're building in us. And Lord, we will respond. You are our Savior. You are our God. You are the one who loves us and will not let us go. Lord, we find our identity in you, so we choose to be where you are. Make us a people where you dwell. We love you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Stand together, if you will. Let's worship together. And you respond as the Lord leads you.